um, Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, the, that which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Well, let's, um, let's just uh, spend some time praying now and uh, then we'll do some thinking about Psalm 32. Father, we want to thank you for your word and we thank you especially for the book of Psalms, for the way that the psalmists uh, under your uh, inspiration have expressed their experiences and their thoughts about you and their relationship with you. Father, we thank you that you've preserved this word for us down through the ages and that it speaks uh, clearly to us today. Lord, we want to pray that as we think about your word now that uh, you would be informing our minds, that you would be giving us humble and contrite hearts that uh, respond to your word, that uh, we would become more humble and more uh, uh, um, open and honest with you that our lives would be changed and we pray these things now in Jesus name Amen so I wonder if you've ever thought about what it would be like to be able to live a double life to be one person in one context and be a completely different person in another context a few weeks back some students at Uh, Columbia University in New York made an interesting discovery about one of their fellow classmates. Uh, His name was, is, Kim J. Siop. Anyone heard of Kim J. Siop? Okay, sometimes he's known as AJ. I'm not sure how he got that nickname, but he's sometimes called AJ. AJ is a first-year overseas student in New York. He's from South Korea. Uh, He studies psychology. He lives in a tiny room in one of the residential colleges that they have on campuses. 
And uh, just like thousands of other Asian students at Columbia University, he attends lectures, he writes essays, he sits for exams, uh, he's hoping to find a girlfriend, and he puts up with um, the kind of food that they dish up at residential colleges at universities. But he was keeping a big secret to himself. And actually, it was the college food that, um, uh, that caused his secret to be revealed. He got so fed up with the college food one night, uh, he desperately needed some good kimchi, which is good Korean food. He couldn't resist the temptation, so he went down to Koreatown, went to a Korean restaurant where somebody saw him and uh, his cover was broken. Because in Korea, in Japan, in other parts of Asia, AJ is actually a singing superstar. He is an international heartthrob. Uh, he's uh, a guy uh, at whose feet girls just drop. Uh, he's a member of the wildly popular K-pop band called You Kiss. Uh, the female fans of You Kiss call themselves Kiss Me and they call him the Korean Justin Bieber, which may not be such a great thing these days actually, <laughs> but anyway. Um, but uh, there you go, the typical Asian student was actually living a double life. Uh, he was a young man with a secret. But what, what about the double life that we can sometimes like to live? What about the secrets which we think or hope that no one will find out about ourselves, even God? What about those things which we think we could hide from God? Do you know uh, David wrote... Psalm 32, and there was a time in the life of King David when he was very much living a double life because he presented himself as being the switched-on, um, upright, competent, godly king, but he was actually keeping a very big secret to himself. There was something which he didn't want other people to know about, and there was something which he certainly did not want God to know about, and that is that he had been sleeping with the wife of another, of another man uh, and that he had actually organised the death of that woman's husband. Uh, her name, of course, was Bathsheba. Now, as I say, Psalm 32 was written by David and it's a, it's a very helpful psalm because it describes a time in David's life and we, we don't know whether it was the time after he'd committed sin with Bathsheba or not. Uh, I just use that to illustrate the fact that he's a guy who knew what it was like to lead a double life. But there was a time in David's life when he was leading a double life, but that he came clean with God. Now, we don't know exactly the situation that evoked, that inspired him to uh, want to write Psalm 32. But we do know that uh, he had tried to cover up 
this sin in his life, that he was trying to get away was with leading a double life. And so if you want to open up your Bibles at Psalm 32, what you see there in, is that he starts off by talking about the person who is truly blessed. And so that's the starting point for us because I want to, uh, us to think about uh, how we would, what sort of person we would think of uh, when we think of the person who is truly blessed. And uh, the word blessed, uh, it's hard to say that it simply means the person who's truly happy, but that kind of gives you an idea. The kind of person who you would truly want to be like, the kind of person who our society exalts. Now, I think it's true, isn't it, that society sends out a, some confusing messages about who are the truly blessed people because the kind of people that we tend to exalt in our society tend to be the, uh, the wealthy, or the successful, the beautiful, uh, the, um, uh, the, the successful people and so on, as if that's what it means to be truly blessed. But if you have a look at verses 1 and 2, uh, what kind of person does David say is the person who is truly blessed? What kind of person is the person who has found true happiness? It's the person whose sins are covered. It's the person whose transgressions have been forgiven. It's the person whose sins the Lord will no longer count against them. See, that is the truly blessed person. It is the, the sinner who has been forgiven by God. You want to be happy? Happiness is found in forgiveness, in having that right relationship with God. Now, notice something else about this blessed person. In verse 2, this person is the one in whom there is no deceit. Now, that was a lesson which David had to find out the hard way. Because uh, in verse 3, we know that David, he says that he tried to deceive God by his silence, which is not very smart. Um, because if you have a look uh, at how David's sin impacted his life in verse 3. In verse 3, he says, When I kept silent, you know, when I, didn't, I wasn't open and honest with God, when I kept silent, what happened was my bones wasted away through, through my groaning all day long. He says, for day and night, and he's talking to God, for day and, from, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Now, that's kind of imagery that we can relate to this time of year, isn't it? You know, try walking home from church today. You'll know what it means have you strength sapped as in the middle of summer but um, uh, the um, the picture that's painted here uh, is a picture of exhaustion and it's a picture of someone who's been carrying this very very heavy load and there's no surprises there because when we carry the guilt of our sins uh, well it affects us in two main ways first of all sin of course is the very thing which causes the uh, the fracturing of our relationship with God sin is what has caused us to be cut off from God 
right? And ultimately, uh, that situation leads to judgment. But secondly, if we are people who do have a relationship with God, if we are people who claim to be in a relationship with God through Jesus, but yet we persistently and unrepentantly keep on sinning, then, friends, we've got to expect that there's going to be a few problems in our lives as a result of that. Because what, what happens is that we experience some, an inner turmoil, an inner clash between, on the one hand, our conscience, and on the other hand, our actions. Where our conscience and our actions are not right with one another. And so, I know how God wants me to live, and I know how I am actually living, and I'm not planning on doing anything about changing that. You see the problem? So, I'm not planning on doing anything about my pride. I'm not planning on doing anything about my jealousy. I'm not planning on stopping my gossiping or uh, repenting of my greed or my materialism or my adultery, except that what I might do is I might um, try to come up with a looser definition of sin to say that those things are really not offensive to God. Or I try to justify myself by saying, well, you know, that, that's just who I am. I can't do anything about it. Or we might want to decide that we want to focus on the faults of others, to pluck the stuck, you know, pluck the um, was it the the speck of sawdust out of their eyes, so that they might see more clearly, and I might feel a whole lot better about myself. So that's how people try to deal with this disconnect between their conscience and their actions, and it's an ab absolute failure. It's an absolute failure because this double life, uh, it damages our relationship with other people and most importantly, it damages our relationship with God because for starters, we're not going to really pray to God meaningfully, are we? We're not going to be open with God and telling God what's going on. Uh, we we want to hide from God uh, as Adam and Eve did in the garden. Now, Sometimes this inner conflict uh, can even cause us to become unwell, both um, physically and emotionally unwell. And I think that's what James is on about when he, you know, he talks about people getting sick and one of the first things you've got to do is you've got to actually see if there's something in your life that you need to confess to God um, before you can be healed spiritually. But the suffering that we can undergo... Uh, as a result of this inner conflict can actually be a gift from God. Um, in, in verse 4, we see that David recognised that the, the heaviness that he felt, uh, well, who did it come from? It came from the hand of God. See that he recognises that. He's not saying it was just a psychological thing, not just a physical thing. It was something which actually came from the merciful hand of God. See, it was a judgment of mercy 
God allowed him to suffer so that he would, uh, th- that he would fall so low that he would recognise that he had to come clean and man up to what was actually going on in his life. Um, verse 5, he says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you know what happened? He says to God, and you forgave my sin. You forgave the guilt of my sin. You know, it was a couple of years back that someone, uh, someone did some, someone sinned against me in a way which uh, I didn't particularly enjoy. Uh, it was not a pleasant experience. And uh, this person, he knew, he knew what he'd done. I also knew what he had done. And I was about to take some steps in order to, to uh, attempt some form of reconciliation with him. But I found that I didn't have to because... Instead, he got in touch with me and he apologised to me. He accepted full responsibility for what he'd done. He made no excuses and he asked me to forgive him. And when When I told him absolutely yes... He spoke to me about how greatly relieved he was. He said he'd been, he'd been carrying the burden of, the, of, of that for, for several weeks, that uh, he was fearful that uh, I would not forgive him for what he had done and that it was the greatest release, the greatest relief for him to hear that word, yes. To the, uh, to the request for forgiveness. And, uh, you know, friends, we are able to forgive because we know what it is to be forgiven. Because God, through the gospel, has forgiven us the guilt of our sin. And, and it was interesting because of that, because of what he had done in fessing up to what he'd done, uh, it actually enabled me to then uh, get together with him and have a really good chat about, about his life and about what was going on in his life and uh, to try to sort a few things out. But the big reason, as I say, that Christians can forgive others is because we ourselves have experienced the healing forgiveness of God. And David found that healing. Um, some humble, honest talking to God and the guilt, the burden of the guilt of his sin was lifted from his shoulders. What we see here is the gospel in the Old Testament. David found forgiveness, but his sins were not simply swept under the carpet by God. It was God's plan all along that uh, David's guilt and the guilt of all of the Old Testament people who turned to God, that David's guilt would finally be dealt with by the cross of Jesus, by the sacrifice of Jesus at Calvary. 
Now, uh, in your bulletins, I've um, printed out to you a passage from 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And you might want to have a look at that because uh, uh, it, it um, sums this kind of teaching up. Let me read it to you, 1 John chapter 1. John says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. Get this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. And not only that, he will purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. You see... People say, well, you know, I don't really believe in sin. There are others who say, well, I don't really think I've sinned. Well, you know, they're having themselves on. They're kidding themselves. They're fooling themselves and they think they can fool God. But if we confess our sins, he can and will forgive us because of the purifying blood of Jesus. Uh, King David uh, was forgiven because of the same sacrifice through which you and I are forgiven. And, you know, there's nothing better than to experience forgiveness, is there? There's nothing better to have reconciled relationships, especially to experience that forgiveness from God, uh, which means that 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 disconnect between our conscience and our lives is connected and we can have a clean conscience, we can have a peace of conscience and a, and a great joy in our hearts which makes us the most blessed people that there possibly could be. It means a fresh start. And so in verses 6 through to 11... Uh, there is some great advice here. Let me just read part of it for you. Verse 6, we'll start with. Uh, David then says, well, therefore, and he's talking, to, it's interesting here because it goes backwards and forwards between David talking to God and then God talking back to us. It says, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Uh, surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. And then God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they may not come to you. Many other woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. See, here's the choice. You can drown in the flood of the consequences of your own sin, or you can climb, on, climb onto some high and safe ground by putting your trust in God. Uh, and it's that, that safe ground is found in his forgiveness, in his protection, and in his guidance. Be healed and become the person God wants you to be. Well, how can we do that? Um, 
the answer is found in verse 6. You talk to God. You have a chat with God. You pray to God. You ask him to forgive you and change you. And you do so before it's too late. Remember uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And what will he do? He will forgive us all of our sins. And it doesn't stop there, does it? Because that's just the start of the Christian life. It's a, the Christian life is an ongoing process of sanctification. That means being made more holy, more set apart. And the promise is that he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Is there anything unclear about that? It's clear, isn't it? It's a clear promise from God to you that he will forgive your sins and he'll purify your life. That's the promise. Now, I want to say also that the Bible uh, doesn't just stop at us confessing our sins to God. Because the Bible also teaches a, another form of confession that Christians ought to, ought to practice. And it's uh, found in James chapter 5, verse 16, where we are told that we should confess our sins to one another. Now, I know that there is, you know, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that you go to the uh, what do they call it, to reconciliation. You go to the box where the priest is and you confess your sins to the priest. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And some of you might have been through that at some time. Well, James doesn't say go and confess your sins to the reverend one another. He says go and confess your sins to one another. And so he's talking about us. He's talking about us as a family of God's people, as a community of people who ourselves have, who, who are united by the fact that we have experienced the forgiveness of God ourselves. Now, confessing our sins to one another can sound like a pretty heavy kind of thing to do, can't it? And it is. And, uh, you know, for example, someone, a, a Christian might be trapped in in an addiction to some form of um, uh, sexual immorality. And they may be very burdened by the guilt of that and burdened by the fear of being discovered and the shame that's involved with that and so on. And I don't think that's the kind of thing that you just go and blurt out over supper at you know, a growth group on you know, Wednesday night or whatever. Right? But yet... To speak to someone privately, a mature, godly, trusted uh, Christian friend, someone who is really, really good at listening and understanding, someone who's able to reassure you of the forgiveness and the help that God uh, promises to give, well, that kind of confessing of your sins to one another might be a very, very good place to start. Uh, in terms of the road to recovery. Um, there are other areas of sin which might be very appropriate, uh, to be honest, about uh, in a group of Christians, you know, at supper over or morning tea after Bible study or uh, in any group of Christians. Maybe a problem that you've got with impatience or a problem with anger or you realise that your Christian 
witness at work hasn't been so hot lately and uh, it can be very helpful to confess these things to our Christian friends because guess what? We might find that we're not Robin Cr Robinson Crusoe in that regard, that we're not alone, that uh, others too struggle in the same kind of ways and then we can work together to try to work out strategies for dealing with those particular sins. We might also discover that um, our friends already knew about this particular problem that we have in our lives and uh, have been um, struggling to find a, um, you know, a, a delicate way of uh, raising the topic with us. And by confessing, we actually make that process a whole lot easier for them. But you've got to swallow your pride. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because it's pride that gets in the way. Um, pride is so often the issue. Have a look at what David says in verse 9. Because in verse 9 he says, Well, don't be like the stubborn mule or the horse that constantly requires restraint and control lest it gallop away. Don't be a stubborn mule. Uh, you know, don't be like the kind of person who we see roaming the pages of the book of Proverbs, uh, you know, the person who is, uh, who is arrogant and foolish, the person who, who doesn't seek instruction, doesn't listen to instruction because they're wise in their own eyes. Don't be like that. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, it, it captures that kind of uh, person nicely. It's interesting. It says, He who hates correction, and I like this, he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> Do you like that? He who hates correction is stupid. And that's, uh, that's the word of God, friends. Don't be like the stubborn mule. Don't be like the person I once knew who professed Christ but was leading a double life and was suffering the effects of that double life. But who, when lovingly confronted, came to the final decision, I hope it wasn't final, but said, I know what God wants and I know what I want and I'm going to live the way that I want. Thank you very much. And I wonder, friends, if there might be an area in your life where you know that you're not being holy. I reckon that's probably true for all of us in some way or another. An area in your life where maybe you've you haven't really spoken to God about that you need to have a chat with God about. It might be an area in your life where you've just come to a bit of a stale position on and decided, well, that's just me and I'm just going to live with it. Uh, or you've become entrenched in that particular aspect of sin. And you need to have a chat with God about it. 
you need to start the process of uh, manning up to what's really going on. You need to talk to God and in talking to God, you need to thank him for the forgiveness that we have through the cross of Jesus. You need to remember, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that godly sorrow uh, actually leads to repentance. Uh, sorrow without repentance doesn't lead to life, but it's godly sorrow that leads to repentance that leads to life. So we need to remember that the forgiveness of God, we need to remember that godly repentance ought to lead, uh, godly sorrow ought to lead to forgiveness, uh, to repentance, and to actually bring before God this particular issue that you need to be dealing with by asking him by his spirit to do the work that he has promised to purify you of that unrighteousness and to do his work in changing your life. Now this is something which we need to be thinking about and praying about um, by ourselves at home. I want to just provide an opportunity now though uh, for us to have a, a time of silence, a time where uh, if you want to start that conversation with God to do so, uh, thank him for forgiveness, remember that sorrow ought to lead to repentance, and maybe talk to God about an area in your life that you'd really like to see some change. Can we do that? Um, and and uh, after a, um, a little while, I'll just then lead us in prayer and then we'll uh, do some singing before morning tea. So just a moment or two for you to come before God quietly and pray uh, in confession. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we uh, want to thank you for the promise that you give that if we confess to you that you will forgive us of our sin and that you will purify us from all unrighteousness. Father, we know that our sin is uh, so serious in your eyes that it required the death of your son to pay the penalty for sin. Father, we thank you that uh, you've given us a restored relationship. We pray that we wouldn't be people who harbour sin in our heart. We pray that uh, for whatever areas that we've uh, needed to bring before you today, and perhaps we'll do so over time, that uh, you would help us to be serious about our repentance, that you would grant us the strength by your Spirit to do so, and that you would even open up opportunities for us to talk to other Christians, that we might uh, get the help 
and the encouragement that we need. Father, we want to bring these things before you now and we do so in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.